Dare we open Pandora's mystic box? To every generation, a slayer is born, except this time, there were six. This is the dimension of imagination. You are entering the mystic zone. Do you ladies see that aura? Something wonderful this way comes. Hi, welcome to the Mystic Order podcast. We are the Mystic Order of East Alabama Fiction Writers, six women of an age seeking the sublime and the ordinary. And I'm Mystic Margie, the Mystic Illuminator. And I'm Mystic Joanne, the Mystic Defender. And I'm Her Royal Highness, the Queen. Gail. Yes. And the three of us will be doing our last podcast of season two. The today. last podcast? Not the last, just the last of season two. Well, then when will season three start? Season three begins June the 3rd, 2020. Ooh, so on Wednesday. On a Wednesday. So stay tuned. We are taking a little break so we can regroup, travel, um, you know, swim. Have love affairs. Have love affairs. Oh, and also... And cook. <laughs> cook and walk, <laughs> which <laughs> brings us to the topic of our podcast today, uh, which is walking. I think that's a very strange subject, walking. It is. I entitled it Walk on the Wild Side, which oh. I know we all <laughs> To make it less, do. less <laughs> strange. <laughs> now, I am an avid walker. I used to be a runner. I would run everywhere and people all over Auburn would come up to me and say we just see you walking everywhere or running everywhere well they said walking but I thought I was running (laughs) and so I think as I aged um the top half of my body would run but the bottom half would kind of stroll along (laughs) and finally I just said what the heck I'm just gonna walk it's much better for you and it takes me twice as long but I do enjoy it even more because I, you know, stop and really observe things or just take it a little bit slower. So yeah. I you really stop. Does that also use up calories? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was going to say, and walking is ever so much better on your knees and your ankles than running, unfortunately. There are tons of good books on walking, but I would like to share a couple of walks that I've had that were quite uh, memorable and maybe you guys have some memorable walks or adventures walking Joanne do you have any I do you know my husband and I I know this sounds crazy but we are um, we like to camp and so lots of our last name yes 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 which is my last name right (laughs) but we will go on these we went to Glacier one year we've gone to the Oregon coast and all of this has been camping but when we were in Glacier National Park we started off on a walk, and I, you know, walk, hike, stroll, whatever. But as we were heading into this uh, path, there was a guy over to our left who was on a walkie-talkie, and he was all a dither, and he was all decked out for hiking. He had on the the hat and the the cargo shorts and everything, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, I just saw it." And he said, "It came out of the woods. It scared. It came out of the the brush. It scared me." And so we were, of course, what? 
And sure enough, he'd seen a bear. Whoa. Yeah. And so, but he said the bear was going down the path, the same path we were going down. So Jimmy and I looked at each other and figured, okay, the bear is not coming towards us. It's going away. And so we started walking down the path and people approaching us would say, oh, we saw a bear on the path, but it went up in the woods, you know, and so figured the bear is still ahead of us. And we saw three or four or five people that said that, and this was about a two-mile walk. And as we got to the end of where we were going, we saw some people approaching us and said, did you see the bear? And they go, no, no, we didn't see a bear. It goes, really? We, you know, people have been seeing a bear on the path. And as the man is talking to us, he goes, no. There he is. Well, the bear had gotten behind us now and was up on <laughs> the The bear ridge. was following you. <laughs> now it was following us, but it was a black bear, and it wa- it was more curious about us than I guess we did were Did you have jam it. on your hands for eating peanut not, butter? I did not, no, and thank goodness we did not. And it, thank goodness it was not a mama bear with cubs. We would have had second thoughts about that. But, yeah, that was a walk with a bear was one of my more interesting walks. When I was at Glacier with my son Rivers, we were going down a path, and it there was a sign that said it is not advised to go any further down this path without bear spray. Mm. And neither of us had bear spray. So we're just standing there looking at this sign like, what do we do? (laughs) Back up. (laughs) (laughs) Some some tourist shows up and she goes, are you hoping you find someone with bear spray? Because I have some. Uh (laughs) We went with her. (laughs) My son, Michael, lived and worked in Wyoming for a while there. And that was another walk. We went on to him to see a natural bridge. And we had lunch first. We drove to the the trailhead and we had lunch. And then we were getting better. You know, we're getting our little backpacks on with our snacks and our drinks in it. And I see my son get what I think is a kitchen fire extinguisher out of his car. And I'm saying, honey you know, we're not going to start a fire. We're just going to go for a walk. He said, Mom, this is bear spray, and I will be behind y'all because they come from behind. I said, thank you, honey. (laughs) And and I'll walk backwards. (laughs) And I'll I'll walk backwards. I think he knew. He knew what to look for. So, yeah, walks with bears. Well, Margie, when you chose this subject, walking, I really thought I have absolutely nothing to say about walking. But when I think about it, there's... Uh, in my old age, um, I have two forms of exercise. One is water walking, and the other is Tai Chi. When I was thinking about this today, I thought, gosh, how things have changed, because I used to be a swimmer and a racquetball player. (laughs) (laughs) And so (laughs) when I was in high school and early years of college, there were no runners and joggers. No. Now you can't look out your door without seeing, you know, somebody running by in Lycra. Lycra? Is that what it's called? Well, running gear, whatever. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But back then, if you saw somebody running, it was because there was a fire or a bear. Exactly, or a bear. (laughs) Anyway, so now I've I've come to the part of my life that is water walking. Is that like Jesus? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Tai Chi is definitely like Jesus, except it's the Chinese version. Oh, okay. But um, a Buddhist, like Buddha. But I thought about when we were in, when I was in college. If you exercised, it's because you had a sport. And um, I was in the Dolphin Club. There you go. I was a synchronized swimmer. (laughs) I was too, (laughs) but also I was just a swimmer. But now, now I walk the water, and it's actually. Uh, better for you. It's better cardio because of the resistance of the water 
than walking on land. And it helps strengthen and tone a lot of muscle groups that walking on land won't. Not that walking on land isn't great for you, but walking on water is more exercise. And tell them about Tai Chi walking. Well, that's what I was going to say. I added Tai Chi to this mix. Why, why I don't know, because this is my third year, and I'm, I'm not particularly good at it. And I usually don't pursue things that I don't think I'm going to be really good at doing. But it doesn't come naturally to me. I have to practice it. The reason I think I'm so enchanted with it is I like I like the idea, but I like the names of the movements, and uh-huh. I've written some down. Parting the Wild Horse's Mane. Oh. Fair Lady Works the Shuttles. White Crane Spreads Its Wings. Wow. Playing the Lute. Repulse Monkey, that's my top favorite. <laughs> <laughs> it is mine, too, I think. Grass- Repulse Monkey. Repulse, Repulse Monkey, monkey. <laughs> yes. Grasping the sparrow's tail, wave hands like clouds. Now, everyone should do that. Everyone should learn to wave hands like clouds. Playing with rainbows. Yes. That's one of my favorites. High pat on the horse. I love that. I mean, how else would you pat a horse unless it's a miniature horse? (laughs) Those are great. No, but tell them about Tai Chi walking because it's an art in of itself. Okay. If I'm going to tell you about Tai Chi walking, I have to turn the page. (laughs) (laughs) I went online today. We Tai Chi walk, particularly in one of my classes. Um, Tai Chi walking is about like walking like a cat. Mm -hmm. And I went online and typed in Tai Chi walking, and the teapot monk, whose real name is Paul Reed, came up. He said, um, Tai Chi exercises are easy to perform. They can be practiced anywhere at any time and require neither lycra nor expensive home training machines that you regrettably purchase during an insomniac phrase phase <laughs> on a late night shopping channel. It consists of five steps. Really, it's like walking like a cat. It's not about imitating the purring, mouth-slaying, rubbish-rumming qualities of the cat, but rather the elegant and focused gait of their movement. I say that it's more like when you used to sneak into your house oh, late right. at night after your parents told you to be home at midnight and it was 2 o'clock. <laughs> Very careful walking. Well, my friend Ernie Guyton, who was one of our anthropology professors, who's fabulous, but he was trained as a dancer. He da- he, ah. he was majored in dance in college. And he said that that's how dancers were trained, to walk when they're just walking around. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Tai Chi walking, this mm-hmm. very graceful, flowing movement. And we were with him in Vietnam over Christmas. And when you're crossing the streets in Hanoi, there are no lights. You just go. You just flow. And he would go, or go with us. He would go, glide, glide, <laughs> glide. Well, also <laughs> moving your weight. As you move, mm-hmm. you know, you, you put down what's called an empty step. So if you step in a hole, it doesn't matter because there's no weight on that foot. Ah, This is particularly good for old people who tend to break their hips and then die. So, <laughs> But <laughs> I, I, I love what the teapot monk said about what is required. You know, when, when you're playing a sport, they'll tell you what's required to bring to play right. the sport. He said you have to have one pair of feet. These are not <laughs> available on Amazon Prime. <laughs> You have to have a low center of gravity, which is not available on the moon. One tablespoon of vulnerability and a gentle smile. One ounce of softness, not available during elections or referendums. <laughs> and pointedy ears, what? which is optional unless you're a Vulcan. Wow. <laughs> pointedy ears? Pointedy ears. 
<laughs> wow. I have never, I'll have to practice my Tai Chi ears. <laughs> Mine are not pointy enough. Well, it's, he says, uh, watch a cat hunt a bird or a small rodent, oh, yeah. and you will see an animal in an extraordinary state of balance with coordinated limbs, measured breath, and focused concentration. Wow. Which is what I love about Tai Chi. It is such mindfulness, and I think that's what they're talking about. Yeah, I do. That's the hardest thing for me to be mindful, and particularly on Friday because the class, which Joanne shares with me, is outside. For one thing, there is a squirrel that has an albino tail. Oh, my God. So you just see this white tail going through the trees, and (laughs) it's really hard to be mindful (laughs) when you're looking at a tail, and you can't tell it's attached to a squirrel going through the trees. And also, (laughs) lately, there have been vultures sitting in all the trees in the back (laughs) where we in, in Town Creek Park. And someone pointed out, Town Creek Park is right next to a graveyard, and that was their summation of why uh, the vultures were there. I think they're just liking the trees over there. They're over by the Auburn soccer fields, too. They light on everything. As I'm walking sometimes, they start circling me, and well, I that's pick up my that's, pace. <laughs> that's near Town Creek Park, but, but the graveyard people complained bitterly about the... Um, the vultures. The vultures. And so the city of Auburn, this was in the paper about two weeks ago, set off booms. They did not hurt an animal, they said. Good. Set off booms. And they were going to do it Friday morning, and that's when our Tai Chi meets. And thinking, <laughs> it's hard to be mindful when they're setting off booms and shooting the, and here at comes the vultures. vultures. <laughs> You're right. I could see the um, the vultures being mindful of our our mortality, and I could concentrate on a vulture while doing Tai Chi, but the booms have got to go. Yeah. yeah. The booms have got to go. And the mowing of the field. Oh, yeah, the mowing of the field. Very yeah. hard to be Why mindful. Why they would pick Friday morning when Tai Chi is going on, you're trying to be mindful. But I think the Gale mentioned something to the fathers that be, and they don't do that much anymore. Well, they did this Friday, and I think it's because if you live in the South, you know this, it has rained every day for months and months. I even have a stream going through my little forest that was not there before. Yeah, it's been incredibly wet. So I think it was the first day they could mow, so I'm going to give them that. Well, you know, vultures are underappreciated because they're such wonderful garbage collectors. Oh, yes. Well, obviously, the vulture poop is going to ruin the graveyard. That's what they were saying. That would have rot the marble. Oh, really? Yeah, they are really up close and personal. They're not lovely. I mean, they're (laughs) lovely in their own way, but they're colorful, but kind of in a gruesome way. Didn't didn't Mystic Mary own a vulture? No, a crow. No, she had a crow. A crow. No, I think she. No, oh, maybe that, the, no, no you're know. right. Roscoe. It was a crow. Roscoe, Roscoe. the crow. The, yeah. From a fledgling, they had him, and he was bond. I mean, he uh, imprinted. Yes. On them, and was with them. I think know, always. Yeah, their dad got it. It as was a Ruth baby. Speak who had the vulture. Ah, uh, okay. And they live near Kroger, and sometimes when you go to Kroger, the stop sign in front of Kroger had a vulture on it. <laughs> Waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for mommy to come out. Waiting for stops. Well, Marky, tell us about your memorable oh, okay. walks. Well, one very memorable walk. I, for many summers, I taught abroad, and uh, which was great. And one town that I taught in quite a bit was a, a hill town in Tuscany called Montepulciano. And from that hill town, it was the highest one. Uh, you could see other hill towns, and we there was another small hill town called Montefalonica. 
And it was probably about two miles away, but it was up and down hills. And so two other professors and I on one Sunday as the program were winding down decided to walk to Montefalonica. And these were two two men that were about the same age as I was, but um, one was in pretty good physical condition. The other one wasn't in that good a shape, a little bit overweight, but not totally out of shape. So we start walking, and we can see the town, but we're going down these valleys around. And about two hours into this thing, we realize we're not really getting closer to Montefalonica. We see it, and we walk through this plum field, and these women were picking plums, and they gave us some plums so we wouldn't, like, dehydrate. I mean, they could tell we were not in good shape. And one of the professors is confessing to me that he has had a heart attack before, but he's feeling okay. <laughs> and the other one started describing some other morbid thing about his life. I think they thought they were going to die. <laughs> and, and so I said, well, let's just keep going. You know, we can see it. And the ladies told us we had to go back down and find this path that would take us up. Because the fields are plowed. I mean, you can't just walk through them. They're really deep mud. mud. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> like, you know, and they're vineyards. You can't. Anyway, so... We regroup and we keep going. And I kept going like, come on, guys, we can be there. And they would say, would you quit being so damn cheery? You know, and <laughs> so we got to this town and it's this tiny town and it's Sunday and there is nothing open, not anything. And we're like dying of thirst. Of course, we weren't prepared. I mean, we just were taking an afternoon yeah. stroll and we were, you know, we had no water, no grocery store open. And then I heard German laughter, Germans talking and laughing. And I looked down this alley, and there out on this porch was a restaurant, and it was part of a hotel. Oh. And the hotel was open. And we went to the hotel, and we said, can we get something to drink? And they said, oh, come have lunch over our patio. And it was like this miracle. <laughs> there were, you know, all the tourists there were German. And we ordered, I mean, I ordered the biggest beer I could get and had this delightful ravioli. It was heart-shaped ravioli. <laughs> and we sat there and, you know, but then we had to walk back because <laughs> there was no uh, taxi or anything on Sunday. No Uber? No Uber. This was pre-Uber day. No Lyft? No Lyft. <laughs> the and miracle I, of Montefalonica. Montefalonica. <laughs> and a, a couple of years later, I did it with two of my favorite students. It wasn't Monica Lewinsky? Yeah, it was during that time. <laughs> it was like, that's weird. oh, Montefalonica. Uh, but I did that same walk again with two of my students, two of my favorite students, um, we decided to do it. And when we did it, we knew the right path, but we ran into the, a gigantic thunderstorm came oh, up. No. But we went to that same hotel, drenching wet, and I treated them to like a five-course dinner there. Oh, nice. Because it was so fun. I mean, we were soaking, but they were very kind to us. But anyway, those are my monophilonica walks. Are, are these small paths? I mean, how, how do the residents get there? Well, they have cars that they drive somewhere, but then most people don't. I mean, they're roads, but the roads would take you a really long time to walk on. Um, they, they are small paths, and then you just have to know them. You know, if you knew them, if you're working out in your plum orchard or your vineyard, and you did you remember them? I did because I asked some people in Mont Montepulciano exactly which which fork to take. 
You know, the Europeans, I think they walk a lot more places than we as Americans do, possibly because cities are closer together, you know, and they do have different transportation. But and the Germans have the staff that they add their little Oh, yes. Walk, so their little I have one of those. I have one of those. But my point is going to be that there are a lot of places, my son lives in, in Austria, and there were a lot of places we would walk up to, and like you're describing, we would go up to not a town, but the middle of nowhere. We would be on top of a mountain. They would have a little cross there. There's a book to sign in just to say you made it. And then you would look around and, oh, wait, there is a beer beer shop over here. Yes, <laughs> a beer how, garden. A beer garden. garden. And how that, I said, how did they get food up here? Because they would have, you know, kegs. And we walked through these little pads and on the side of a mountain to get there. And there would be no roads going up there. And I have often marveled at that. You would have your, you know, you'd have Are you your, sure you didn't imagine Your it? verst. No, we had beer and verst. <laughs> and it was wonderful after you've, you've climbed five miles straight up. Yeah. So. <laughs> when and I one time when we were in Garmisch, we were walking, we thought just a trail, but we were walking up the Wonk, which was the name of the mountain. And it started becoming like you know, cold and snowy, and Wayne had on his tennis shoes, and these German hikers were coming down. They went, bad shoes. <laughs> bad shoes. <laughs> That's right. Stupid Americans, bad shoes. <laughs> well, I am um, another one of my, my favorite walks um, locally, and I say locally, within this country, have, it was down the Oregon the Oregon coast. Oh, wow. And there were, and there's continual, that's the, the thing about Oregon, all the whole coastline is a national park. So you can go as far as you want and stay wherever you want um, as long as it's on the coast. But there were wonderful paths and places to hide and walk and see the coast close up. It was really good. Yeah, where my son, one of my sons lives in uh, Ohio, in Yellow Springs, Ohio, they made all of the old railroad tracks, they d dug them up and made them into bike and walking paths. That's so nice. you could walk all over Ohio. I mean, you walk the entire state or bike. Do we want to bike Ohio? Uh, well, it's quite lovely. I mean, parts of it are really, really pretty. Um, yeah. Lots of nature preserves and, um, you know, and it's, it's really easy walking. And the first time I, I might have told this when I was walking around these trails in Yellow Springs, that I'd see these people on bikes and they looked exhausted. But then I realized they had biked from like Cincinnati or, or <laughs> Columbus. They biked from miles away, you know, so it was like. And that's fun. You know, like I said, I wish we would do more. I wish there would be more opportunities and places for us to do. I know like Auburn has got the bike paths everywhere, but you don't see, and around campus, of course, you can walk. And as you do, Margie, yeah. you walk all around yeah. campus and all around town. She walks around my neighborhood. She yeah, does. Well, Carrie Woods is you safe. can see Margie in almost every neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> on North and North Auburn. Yeah. But well, I have, um, we live backed up to Chewakla State Park and even though the paths there have been more for um, biking I take advantage of them as walking trails and they have been quite lovely especially in the early morning Gail in the well, early morning in well morning you know walk, a lot of times morning walk a walk is for <laughs> you know for men you know Physical, mental health, adventure, meditation, but also pilgrimage. 
Yes. You know, you think about El Camino. I don't know that you've ever walked that, Joanne. I haven't. That's on my bucket list. I have friends that have done that, and I've I've driven along El Camino, you know, never made it to Santiago even riding, but um, there's a book that's called, that I looked up, Sinning Across Spain, Walking El Camino by Alyssa Piper. That might be kind of interesting. Of Sinning? Across Spain. Who, who was it? Um, this was her, her El Camino spiritual walk. But, you yeah. know, in the Middle Ages, people walked to, you know, go to heaven, get rid of their sins. I mean. Well, the pilgrimage started at your front door. And that's yeah. uh, the, my my niece walked El Camino, and there was one guy who you know they would meet pilgrims on the way and ask them. He said, "How far have you walked? Where did you, where did mm-hmm. you start? Because every American starts someplace to get to El Camino." He said, "I I started in Holland." Wow. He so started much. from his front door and had been walking to um, Santiago de Compostela. Well, you know that's, I mean, yeah, where the body of St. James is supposedly yes. Yes. buried. Well, a couple of months ago, I went to Cuba. And, of course, um, as soon as we got off the boat in Cuba, we got in one of those 1950 uh, cars, and a tour guide took us all around, uh, well, where we could go in Cuba. But he took us to this drive that it was, I guess, their forest. Mm-hmm. But it looked like um, something out of a science fiction magazine. It looked like um, Albator. The Albator? Avatar. Avatar movie oh, with all I these green, oh, yeah, right. thick <laughs> vines right. coming uh-huh. down. Do people? And he was just driving slowly by, and I said, you're going to have to pull over. I want to walk in there. And I could tell he really did not want to. But, you know, I'm the tourist. What I have the money. <laughs> in the so, bar woods. <laughs> so he pulls over and he says, I better go with you. So we're walking down this beautiful path and I look down and there are all these dead who've been beheaded roosters <gasps> along the path. Centuria. Oh my That's gosh. what it was. Whoa. It's where they, I guess, came and did their thing. Their voodoo. Uh-huh. And, oh. um, so I noticed it and I... I said oh <laughs> somebody <Dead> been, <laughs> I thought somebody had been cleaning chickens that's what it would have been in Alabama <laughs> and he goes no this is a uh, and he couldn't think of the name and he finally said a religion oh okay we'll turn around and go back to the car <laughs> and I'm telling you he was so glad to turn around and go I back bet. to the car it yeah. was very interesting yeah so yeah there's another type of walking for <laughs> You were a pilgrim. <laughs> he thought you were a voodoo pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, another in kind of researching, you know, books on walking, a book b- that I've not read by Werner Herzog, a filmmaker, um, called Walking on Ice. He had this idea. He was walking from Munich to, I think, Paris, where a friend of his was dying, and he had the idea that he could, w- if he walked there, the person would stay alive just his act of walking and did that work i think it did but of course i haven't read the book but it would be interesting (laughs) and there was another book like that that somebody set out by their pilgrimage would prolong a life of someone else i mean just pure kind of a spiritual belief yeah you know by their sacrifice or something but um i thought that was interesting well you know one of my very favorite artists in town rc hagan's his father walks every spring he walks a shoe guy he walks across a state Uh every year 
to collect shoes for a children, orphanage and children in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an orphanage in Mexico. And so he's wa- has he walked every state? Not quite, but he's almost there. Yeah, and now RC's dad is just a year younger than I am, so he is getting long of tooth, as they say. He's going so to quit walking. Well, he's. I think he's. He's pledged to walk across every state, and that is his pilgrimage. Okay. Yeah, that is his pilgrimage. He said that he wasn't down in Mexico, and they were bringing things to the people there, but they brought toys to the children. And one little boy came back to him and said, "Can I?" He took a truck or whatever toy it was. Can I exchange this for some shoes? Mm. And he said it broke his heart that a child would want shoes more than they would want a toy so he pledged to come back with shoes and for everybody in the village and he does that every year that's nice it is well when you're talking about books about walking i have to confess and i may have already said this but when margie said she wanted to do a podcast on walking i thought oh my god what (laughs) on earth is there to say about walking but it was funny this morning i was thinking and i thought wait one of my favorite books this year was about walking, and it's a poor book of poetry called Winter Morning Walks by Ted Kuzer, who happened to be our poet laureate twice, I think. Mm. I think you get a two-year span of being the po- poet laureate, and I think he had four years. I want to read the preface of this to to uh, y'all, and then maybe during the rest of the podcast, on and off, I'll read some of the po- poems. Yeah, which those are, are abs- beautiful. They're yeah. so beautiful. And, you know, I I chose this as my book for the book club, and sometimes our book club is very lazy, and some read the book, and some just come for the wine. Every person had read the book, and they picked out their favorite poems. That was a good book club. It was was a great book club. (laughs) But the preface for Ted Kaiser for this book is, In the autumn of 1998, during my recovery from surgery and radiation for cancer, I began taking a two-mile walk each morning. I've been told by my radiation oncologist to stay out of the sun for a year because of skin sensitivity. So I exercised before dawn, hiking the isolated country roads near where I lived, sometimes with my wife, but most often alone. During the previous summer, depressed by my illness and preoccupied by the routines of my treatment and feeling miserably sorry for myself, I'd all but given up on reading and writing. Then, as autumn began to fade into winter, my health began to improve, and one morning in November, following my walk, I surprised myself by trying my hand at a poem. Soon I was writing every day. Several years before, my friend Jim Harrison and I had carried on a correspondence in haiku. As a variation on this, I began posting my morning poems and postcards and sending them to Jim. His generosity and patience and good humor are here acknowledged. What follows is a selection of 100 of these postcards. And I'm going to read one of the poems. Okay, great. His poems always have the day, and then it usually tells you the time or the weather. And this is called November 12th. It's 4.30 a.m. On mornings like this, as hours before the dawn, I walk the dark halls of the road with my life creaking under my feet, I sometimes take hold of the cold porcelain knob of the moon and turn it and step into a room warm and yellow and take my seat at a small wooden table with a border of painted pansies and wait for my mother to bring me bread. Mm. Oh, very sweet. 
I know why you picked that one, because our Mystic Queen is usually up at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's when I think. But I'm in bed by 7, so don't call me, audience. If you're going to call me, call me from 4 to 7. <laughs> Let me read one more short one. Yeah, those are great. December 3rd, clear and cold. I've been sitting here resting after my morning stroll, and the sun in its soft yellow work gloves has come in through the window and is feeling around on the opposite wall looking for me, mm-hmm. having seen me cheerfully walking along the road, just as I rose, having followed me home to see what I have to be happy about. That was oh, one of my favorites. I like that. The sun is <laughs> following like you. So, so why do we walk? There's the question. Why do we walk? I'm a walker. And I just, I'm like a little bit, not, I don't think quite as bad as Margie, because Margie <laughs> really has to walk. I do. She really, and my sister Libby really has to walk, or else she's out of sorts all day long. Well, before my club closed, which is cruel and unusual punishment, I walked five days a week for a mile through the water without fail, unless I was sick or traveling. And why did you there. do that? Just for the exercise? I, I think get addicted to exercise. I, I do it. I start off thinking that if I do this, I'll be a size 5 instead of a 25. <laughs> and that never works. But then I get addicted to it. In fact, when I was playing racquetball, if the courts were closed because of a holiday or something, I'd jump in the car and drive to Georgia, to Columbus, oh and my. play on their racquetball courts. But I played seven days a week. I, you just get addicted to it. And I think I get addicted to a morning walk. I, You know, I blame it on the dog. We, we're talking about having pets and having to walk them. But I I have to get out in the morning. And, and it's better, I think, almost in cold mornings because that cold shock of air kind of gets my juices going. When I started walking through the water, I started out, I joined this club, and I started out swimming, and then I had shoulder surgery, and that was the end of that for a while, and I just started walking. Uh, I had rotator cuff surgery, and I liked it so much that I decided no ear aches ever, you know, Mm, no pulling the muscles. So I decided I'm going to water walk, but they had an aerobics class, and I took that, and I hated it. (laughs) It just wasn't enough exercise for me. What they were doing was, but then they'd stop, and everybody gossip for 10 minutes. So if I did it by myself, I water walked for a straight hour, and I felt like I'd accomplished something besides gossiping. A couple of years into this, some other women joined me, so we're walking through water in the mornings, early mornings from 6 to 7, and here's something interesting. At the same time, swimmers were swimming laps. They considered us, well, first of all, when you begin get to be an old woman, there's some invisibility to that. You're ignored quite often because you're an old woman. These swimmers considered us second-class citizens. And sometimes they'd come over to us and say, there'd be five of us, and they'd say, can y'all all all get in one lane because we need another lane? And I'd always (laughs) say, are you paying more for the club than (laughs) I am? (laughs) And um, I wanted to say something that I won't say on the microphone. Thank you, Gail, because we'll only have to edit it out. (laughs) That's right. And this went on. I thought it was very odd that they thought they were better as swimmers and since I'd been a swimmer, I thought, well, what I'm going to do one day is bring my uh, swimming gear and jump in next to them and burn them. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those walkers. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yes. 
when when because I've been swimming, I was a I was a water safe baby, and I don't know if y'all know what that was. It was a thing back in the forties. Oh where, my gosh, yes, oh, yeah. I do know what it is. Where you are, you know, actually, your two parents stand apart and let you swim between them, and you feel safe, you know, yeah. because it it's it's not you don't feel safe if you're a water baby nowadays because some some stranger takes you into the pool. Well, not only that, they tell you to throw them in the pool. Well, oh, that's or not ridiculous. They want you that is totally that. ridiculous. That's not really good. Oh, no, it bothers me. But um, so I've been swimming forever. But anyway, so I decided I'm going to burn them one day. So I go to find my swimming <laughs> equipment, and my uh, speedo glasses. Plastic is rotted. <laughs> <laughs> and I had these special earplugs that a friend of mine who was an audiologist had made for me. They were nowhere to be found. And I just thought, oh, well, I'll just go back to water walking and be mean to them when they're mean <laughs> to me. I'm a swimmer, too, and um, I don't belong to a pool right now, so I just walk. I do love swimming, though, and I'm Probably would love water walking as well. Well, we've talked about, you know, why pilgr- people going on pilgrimages. But, you know, there are artists, and I say artists, writers who walk. Right. Yeah, to, just to get ideas, to let. And I, I read someplace about writer's block. And it, it gave us two examples of how to break writer's block. And it said to do something physical. One of them said to clean your house. Well, I do that all the time when I need an excuse not to write. But the other one was to go for a long walk and let, you know, as I put it, the the boys in the back room, give it to the boys in the back room, the back of your head, and just to forget it for a while. Uh-huh. And those ideas or that, you know, Say that what? part. What that, boys in the back room? Don't you have boys in your head? Subconscious. Guys? <laughs> just subconscious like men. You, not like you do, Joanne. All of them. Mine don't tell me to walk. Well, <laughs> I, they don't tell me to walk. I give them the problem, and then I go walk, and they solve it for me. That's are there any works. girls in the back of your head? Yes, there are. There are a couple of back there, too. There's, There's a, a whole, whole group, Gail. There's a whole group. <laughs> well, but it's my back room, not yours, so don't worry about Henry, it. <laughs> Henry David Thoreau wrote essays on walking. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure. Um, did he have boys in the back of his head? I don't I'm know. Sure he did. I don't know. A couple of books I would recommend that I haven't read that I've ordered from our Auburn Oil, Oil. Bookstore. Yeah. yeah. I, booksellers. I at, booksellers. Walking one step at a time. In my notes, it says walking on step at a time. Walking one step at a time by Erling, and the last name is K A G G E, a Norwegian or a somebody from Scandinavia. It's been translated, I think, from the Norwegian. That looked like a pretty interesting book. And another one called Wanderlust, A History of Walking by Rebecca S-O-I-N-I-T. And she goes through the whole, you know, history of walking. And you think about, you know, what's the most important thing for the baby is like when it learns to walk, when it takes its first steps, you know, what do people do, you know, that animals don't do? Most of them is walk on two legs, you know, and that. So this whole, and I'm sure she goes into, you know, reasons for walking and how we actually walked all over the earth to populate the earth. I mean, right. we weren't going. We need to quit walking. 
They will write. <laughs> well, it's too late. <laughs> you know, we still all, you know, we're out of Africa <laughs> populating everything. So, well, and how important that is, you know, even Australians today talk about when they need to go clear their head again, a walk. They a go walk for about. A, a walkabout. A walkabout. A walkabout. So, did y'all ever see that movie, The Walkabout? No. It's made in the 70s and it's a, it, an Australian film. These two Australian white children, they're taken out into the outback with their dad, who's insane. He's going to, like, kill them and kill himself. I think he's already murdered the mother. But they run away, and he ends up, the father kills himself and, you know, blows up the car. But they're, they're out in the outback. What, what is the name of this It's book? called Walkabout. Walkabout. I think it was made in, like, 70, 72. Is it a movie? or It's a, a movie. It's oh. a movie. And they run into an Australian Aborigine youth doing his walkabout, which is the, his initiation ritual. And he shows them the ways that he's learning. They're suburban, you know, white people. And then they learn about, you know, the Aboriginal ways, which is it's a good, great movie, actually. That's great. I, and I don't think... The, I, and I don't know the name of it. I'm sure there is a name of it, but Native American children did the same thing. And I say yeah. children in their teens, mm-hmm. their right of initiation was to go on this walkabout and go off on their own and learn how to survive. Survive, yeah. My three sons, who are Eagle Scouts, did the same thing. <laughs> they all went on their walkabouts of some sort or another to go camp and to be on their own and to become self-sufficient. I think it's wonderful. What, what's the name of that camp where they all go? Fillmore. Fillmore. Yeah. Yeah, Fillmore. Yeah. Philmont. Philmont. Sorry, yes. Philmont. Fillmore is the <laughs> music. <laughs> music. Yeah, Fillmore. What Phil, do we know? That's where we went. <laughs> that's where we went. <laughs> that's our walkabout. <laughs> Another walk, you know, they're, they're urban walkers, too, that walk in cities. And yes. there's a book, it's called Flaneur, which, which means in French, walking aimlessly. Flaneur. And their essays, uh, Women Walk the City, and their essays by women walking in Paris, New York, Tokyo, London, and Venice. And that book is by Lauren Elkin. And I, I really want to read did that. Did you order all these books? No, no, I just ordered no. the first two. But and I looked them all up. But isn't that wonderful that, you know, whether you are an urbanite or a, a rural person or an aborigine, they all have their modes of walking. It's if I walk aimlessly, y'all are going to have to come find me. I know. I'm going to have to take my phone. Say, no, there's a famous expression that all who wander are not lost, Gail. Uh, they don't live in Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be to. driving, and of course, if if you are at live in Auburn, you know this. But Auburn's changing daily by leaps and bounds. And I've lived here for many, many, many years. I was born in Auburn, and I'll be driving around, and I'll look up and go, "Where the hell am I?" <laughs> yeah, the landscape is changing. Yeah, that I was going to say, and that is that's a condition of two things. The landscape has definitely changed around here. But yeah. and my, I have gone into Chiwaklo Park with my dog and gotten hopelessly lost. Do you have to pay $2 to walk your dog in Chiwaklo Park? I, you have to pay $4, I believe, to get into the park. But I buy a season pass since we're right there all the time. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, yeah. it is. And so when I go in to walk her, if I get hopelessly lost, I have learned that, you know, I'll try to pull her to go one way. If she pulls to go the other we always go the way Quipper wants well, to go. Well, she knows how to go Because she knows does, how to get home. Does Quipper have a pass? She she doesn't need a pass. She just needs a leash. Ah, ah. <laughs> That's, well, that was the story about that couple. And I 
California or Oregon that went hiking that usually hiked a lot oh, yeah. and they got lost recently and they were gone eight days. Well, that was stupid. Well, I know, but they, oh, what is that uh, Stephen King uh, book? It's the girl who loves Tom somebody who was a baseball player. Yeah. And Tom Robbins? It, it's, yeah. well, Tom Robbins Tom is right. No, it's some baseball player that I don't know, like a Boston or a New York baseball player, but this kid loved this baseball girl. She gets lost from her, her, her mother and brother. Like she just goes off the trail just briefly. She's kind of being a brat, you know, and then she's lost from them and she's lost forever. And all these things happen to her. I mean, it's Stephen King. You know, she falls down a hill. She, you know. Does the baseball player come into play? No, no. She just keeps thinking about him. Uh But she, but she's followed by something, something ominous, like a bear. But I, you don't know. Are y'all watching what? the Netflix the, Outsider by yes, Stephen King? Yes, I am. That's I am. creepy. Last one He's tonight. He's creepy. Um, the Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Gordon. Okay. Yeah. Tom Gordon. Yes, I'm d- the last ones tonight, Gail. Well, uh. and, you know, before he wrote The Outsiders, I think it was, he thought he would never write again because Stephen King would go on an hour walk every day. He would write in the morning, then go on an hour walk, kind of clear his brain, and he got hit. He was by, hit by a car. Yeah, by a van or a truck. Yeah, and he said he felt like he was in one of his novels. Well, to read about it, you would yeah. think he was in one of his novels because the, the guy had a dog <laughs> in the car with him. And, you know, it was kind of like... He, he was really come, injured, too. He was yeah, injured. Yeah, he was yep. badly injured. He would come to and the guy would go, yep, we hit you. You better lie still. And then he'd pass out again. <laughs> And the guy would say something else completely inane, and it was scary. The star of The Outsider, not um, the woman who's the 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 magical person, the mystic person, she played Aretha Franklin in a recently made production uh, that my daughter was an extra in. Oh, wow. And she was saying that she's really a great actress. That's our mystic moment. That's our mystic moment. (laughs) The one who played the mystic. Before we run out of time, I want to read one more beautiful poem. Oh, yeah, please, please Please do. Finish us up. This is called December 28th. And again, it's by Ted Kuzer, who was a poet laureate for us. It's called Windy and at the Freezing Point. There are days when the world has a hard time keeping its clouds on. And it's grass in place. And this is one of them. Tumbleweeds huddle under the skirts of the cedars, oak trees joining hands in the windy grove. Even the dawn light, blotchy with pink and yellow and blue, like a comic section, quickly flutters away, leaving a Sunday the color of news. Wow. Nice. These are so beautiful. He is beautiful, Charlie. Before we close this up, uh, I want to say that this is our final podcast of season two and if you're sad go back and listen to season one i have and it's wonderful let me let me interject one other thing that i didn't get to cover but i'd like just want to put out some of the my favorite songs about walking oh (laughs) these boots (laughs) these boots are made for walking walking to new orleans by fats domino Walk Like an Egyptian by do, the do, Bangles. Walking on Broken Glass. By Which I have been singing all Annie week. <laughs> and then Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed. Who, wrote, who sang boot, These Boots Are Made for Walking? Nancy Sinatra. And the reason I bring this up 
is uh, this week's Goods from the Woods. It's about the kidnapping of Frank Sinatra Jr. Oh. And I listened to it, and it's absolutely fabulous. The, Ooh. Oh, okay. The famous Rivers Langley is the Goods from the Woods. And this week is about the kidnapping of Frank Sinatra Jr. I, I didn't even remember he was kidnapped. And while we have um, the Langleys on our mind, we want to say, since this is the end of season two, we want to say thank you to Rivers Langley and to his mama, Gail, our queen. for helping us with this podcast. Although Gail dragged us screaming and kicking into <laughs> season one, she has guided there us much through. More, there and may I say you have rallied beautifully. <laughs> there, there, I was going to say she has, there is much more to um, these podcasts than just us talking pretty um, you know, there's a lot of editing to be done, and there's a lot of script writing to be done to let you know what it's about. And our mystic queen does that so wonderfully. And Rivers, and Mary, and Mary, Mary, Mary half the editing yes. with me. Yes. She does. And so, where would we be? We would be um, umming and awing, and we probably wouldn't be on the air. We would not be on the <laughs> We'd air. We'd probably be writing our books. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you, the Gale. Thank you, Rivers, and thank you, Mary. Now, remember, if you've enjoyed the podcast, you know, please rate, review, and subscribe. We can be found, um, the, look for the Mystic Order of East Alabama Fiction Writer or the Mystics Pod at Gmail or the Mystics Pod for your favorite, you know, platform for podcast. We're there. We're always available to come and visit your group, no matter what it might be. Well, fraternity parties? Yeah, fraternity parties. You know, Your garden club? Your garden club, your <laughs> poetry readings. And walking marathons. And walking yeah. marathons. We'll, we'll be we glad to watch you. We'll water walk <laughs> with you. Yes. <laughs> and if you're looking for the podcast, look for the white moth on a black background and you'll know you have found the mystic order podcast yes so remember everybody be, be the, the flame, flame not, not the, the moth, moth.